Hi, and welcome to another episode of The Advocacy Channel, a customer marketing podcast. I'm your host, Will Fraser, and welcome to episode 19. Today, I'm looking forward to welcoming Joel Kletke to the show. Joel is the founder at Case Study Buddy, a company that has created over 2,000 case studies for mid to large size B2B companies. Joel joins us today to share his best advice on how to do case studies right. In this episode, we cover how to get started, the common pitfalls to avoid, and how to get internal buy-in from your team and external buy-in from your customers. I hope you enjoy the show. Hey, Joel, thank you so much uh, for joining us here on the show today. Yeah, really excited to chat all things case studies and buy-in and alignment and uh, get in the weeds a little bit. Awesome. So in the intro, our our listeners just heard that you're with uh, Case Study Buddy, but maybe you could give us just a little uh, overview, a little taste of uh, of what Case Study Buddy is all about. Yeah, sure. So Case Study Buddy uh, has been around for over seven years. And in that time, we've been really focused on just one subset of really challenging problems. And that is, how do you do customer success stories well? How do you get teams aligned? How do you tell compelling stories? Kind of all things to do with operationalizing, creating, and then proliferating customer success stories. And we work with mid-sized to enterprise. We're different in that it's not like hiring a freelancer to write a piece or film an interview. It's really like bringing in a whole department to kind of help you handle that end-to-end and come with a process and be able to lead you and your your customers through it. So we do written collateral, uh, video collateral, kind of bringing all of those different pieces together to give companies a whole campaign's worth of content from one solid interview. That's that's what we hang our hat on. So yeah, focus on B2B and have seen a lot from you know small companies to big companies. And a lot of the problems are the same. A lot of the problems are are different. And even after, you know, I think we're past the 2000 story mark, there's still things that surprise me. So <laughs> it's an interesting space to play, that's for sure. And and how did you get into this space? You know, what, what kind of brought you to it? Yeah, so my background is, you know, I, I used to be a digital agency brat, kind of started in SEO, always loved to write, never saw a career path in it. Eventually, the whole industry turned its head towards content, uh, went out on my own, found myself doing conversion copywriting stuff, mm. and then got asked to do a case study uh, by someone who sat on the board of one of the companies that I had worked with said, I advised this little company uh, called Pingboard and they need a case study. Is that something you do? And I said, well, yeah, for, for you, sure, I'll figure it out. And so, you know, it was through doing that project and kind of investigating that and, and trying to soak up, you know, from, from what was out there, how do I do this best? How do I run the best interview? How do I structure the call? How do I do this? And, and it was in getting my hands dirty, actually creating one that I sort of realized, okay, number one, these are really difficult to do. There are a lot of moving pieces. There are a lot of stakeholders. There's a lot that needs to go right. And there's a lot that can go wrong. I think the second thing was looking around and and seeing there's not a lot of people just making this their focus. There was kind of Casey Hibbard and and she was sort of the queen bee of this focus. There's a smattering of freelancers where it was one of many things they did or agencies where it was one of many things they did, but I didn't see any dedicated teams really just devoted to solving these problems and solving these challenges and doing them really well. Um, And then kind of realizing because there's such, you know, difficult assets to do, they have so much versatility. I saw a lot of potential for these to be used, not just as end of you know, funnel or end of journey assets, but across the buyer's journey, um, you know, kind of looking because they're difficult, because everybody needs them, because they're so, you know, uh, versatile, 
it's an asset you can charge a premium for. And so I kind of thought at the time, well, if I could build a team around this, if I can build a repeatable process, I, I think I could make a go of having a company that that just does this. And so spun off case study buddy, uh, kind of did things quietly for a year or so, you know, really just trying and testing and, and doing different things. And then uh, it, it was only really two years ago that my my partner in the business and I turned and, and made this our full-time focus and really decided, let's see how far we can go. The company had sort of grown under its own steam. We had some really great clients on the roster. And so we decided, well, let's go all in. Let's, you know, let's really see what we can do and, and what we can build and and uh, where we can take it. Man, that's an exciting story. I uh, I love that, that you're, <laughs> that tenacity at the beginning, right? You say like, yeah, I'll figure it out. Uh, and just watch that blossom into something, uh, kind of a little serendipity there that seems that's led to some some very good success. Um, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no, yeah, it's. I mean, it's been a ride, right? There, there have been things that have been um, surprising at, at every stage. There are quirks to making case studies your primary business that you know other content kinds of businesses or other agencies don't have. But I think what I love about it is the fact that because it is challenging and because it is difficult and because um, it's evolving, right? When, when we started the customer marketing function, at least it wasn't even really on my radar. Uh, it wasn't mm. even really a role in the companies that I had been connecting with or talking to. That certainly changed in the past bit. And so even though a lot of people look at these and go, oh, it's problem, solution, results, how hard can it be? The deeper I go, the more I learn and and the more there is to refine and explore. And I think that's what keeps me and, and the team passionate about it too is like, you know, it's not just, well, plug some data into a formula and out it comes. There's some really fun and interesting and compelling parts of this that, you know, that you just keep learning all the time. Yeah. Well, you know, with uh, doing over 2000 case studies, um, you know, what do you think are the the key ways for a, a marketer to, uh, who's got, a, you know, been tasked just like you to, to write a case study? You know, what are the key things they need to think about and, and do to get started? Yeah, I think number one the realization that you cannot really do these in a vacuum. Um, case studies are a team sport. I think that's something we learn more and more over time is different internal teams. Everybody in the company to some degree has a role to play from, you know, the CSMs or AEs or, or reps who kind of make first content uh, contact rather and, and nurture that account and, and sort of own the relationship to marketing who is tasked with figuring out not only, you know, what to create, but how to create it and how to tell that story to, uh, you know, the, whether it's the social teams or the ads teams or whoever who, who's then tasked with, you know, how do we drive the most ROI from, from these things? I think going in with the notion that you cannot do this alone and that you need other people and that your job is almost, I mean, if your hands are on the keyboard writing the thing or filming the thing, that's one thing. But it's just as much your job to kind of be the herder of cats, the wrangler of processes and systems to, to make this work. I think another kind of shift in mentality is that these are not just an output. They are the byproduct of a program. And a program needs processes and systems underpinning it to make it work, especially if you plan to scale. It's one thing to be tasked with doing this once. But if you want to make customer stories a bigger, more meaningful, more effective part of your sales and marketing mix, that is never going to happen by accident. There is always intention and alignment and process driving that. I think the other thing is that you want to go in you know, thinking with the end in mind. You want to have a strategy for these assets. It's not just about 
well, here's yet another win, or here are some metrics and some nice quotes, and maybe if I slam them all together, it will be a story worth reading. That's not how it goes. You have the opportunity as a marketer to be really intentional about the stories you tell, about the customers you feature, about the angles you explore. We call them coverage gaps. You, you don't have to just say, here's a win and here it is. You can be very intentional about what coverage gaps you go looking for. So for example, are you for this quarter or for this year looking for rip and replace type stories, people who switched from a competitor to you? That can be its whole own type of story. Are you looking to disambiguate maybe use cases that people don't know about but would benefit from, from understanding? Are you trying to be prescriptive and show people how to do something that has made other customers successful? Are you trying to appeal to a particular role or, or person who sits on that buying board? I think understanding that you, you have the opportunity and obligation, I would say, to go in with a plan and it's not just, oh, let's hop on the interview, get the customer involved. I think those are all important kind of mindset shifts before you ever get the customer involved that will set you up to do these better, set you up to do them well, and then set you up to make sure that there is an impact that comes out of it, that this doesn't just get relegated to a resources section of your site and forgotten. And I think that's the other thing that, that I would say that you, you want to have in mind or as a starting point is to step back. And again, beginning with the end in mind, be thinking about, you know, where do we want to deploy these? Because, it, you, you know, a lot of companies produce these and they tell one story in one format, one way, one time, and forget about it. And you, you have the opportunity to think about, well, what could sales benefit from? Is it a one sheet? Is it a slide deck? Is it a video? What would the site benefit from? Is it long form? Is it a gated asset? Is it ungated? What do we think about that? What would social benefit from? Is it sound bites? Is it audio bites? Is it video clips? Going in and mapping out your plan for where do we see this fitting in this mix, that should inform what you capture, how you capture, what you get released for, what you create. So those are kind of, I think, key ideas to be bearing in mind, planning for. It's a lot. That's a bit like drinking from the fire hose. You could probably explore each one of those in a, in a larger conversation. But those are the, the kind of the places to start is not with your hands on the keyboard or your mouth to the microphone, but thinking ahead, planning ahead. How do I make the most of these? How do I engage my internal teams? How do I turn this into something that drives a business goal or a revenue goal? I think that is the mentality to come at it with, not what's the best question set for this interview. That, that's a really good point. I think that a lot of people do come at it from that, that starting point of like, well, we might, we're doing an interview and I got to ask the questions. Um, I really love your concept of coverage gaps. You know, I, I think, you know, since I first heard this, it's, it's definitely changed my thinking around case studies for sure. Um, one of the questions I have around these coverage gaps is, you know, how do you recommend someone goes about identifying them? Um, yeah. what, what's that the best strategy you've seen work there? I think start with yourself in your role. If you're in marketing, look at the landscape of the assets or collateral you have and identify what is missing. What stories are we not telling from a marketing perspective? What campaigns are we running that could potentially benefit from having social proof or customer stories tied to them? But don't stop there. The next place to go is to talk to sales and talk to leadership and say, what coverage gaps do you have? Or what? where are you light, basically? What anecdotes do you wish you have? What competitors are we coming up against? What use cases do you not have a great resource for demonstrating or explaining? So it starts with these internal conversations 
across departments where you're basically looking for what's missing or what would help you be empowered to make more sales or to run stronger campaigns. And then from leadership, what are our goals? Like what markets are we trying to move into? What has changed in the landscape that we need to respond to? So before you, you know, try to whittle it down to like a very you know, small subset, here are the three things. Start with conversations to kind of get a lay of the land for where are these different departments at. And then from there, it's a matter of looking at, okay, these are kind of gaps in our content. These are gaps in the stories we have to tell. This is where we have gaps in proof. You have these conversations, you kind of establish, again, where are the gaps? Where are the things that we're missing? Who are we trying to appeal to? And then from there, you try to prioritize that. You look at, okay, in the next quarter, in the next two quarters, or across the coming year, what would have the greatest lift for us to close? If you are trying to close enterprise accounts, for example, and you have some enterprise customers already, but no enterprise case studies, that might be the place to begin. If a new competitor or an established competitor has either entered the market or starting to make mistakes, they're starting to make changes that are maybe alienating existing customers, and there's a chance for you to come in there and and maybe take some of that market share, you might start there. But it's a matter of having conversations, gathering the gaps, and then looking at, okay, how do we now prioritize that and, and lay that out across? And there can be different types of coverage gaps. Again, I I mentioned a couple of them. One could be rip and replace type stories, competitor switching type stories. One of them could be, hey, we really don't have any content or or stories that appeal to a CTO role. We have these very like marketing-esque stories that show, you know, ROI numbers, but we don't really have anything that shows, oh, here's how we did a really technical implementation or here's how we nailed compliance in a tricky space. So you can think on a role level. You can think on an industry level. You can think on a use case level. Hey, we we actually have gone through some mergers and acquisitions, or we've actually built up some some really cool add-ons uh, to our platform that maybe people don't know about. We need to evangelize those. Who are our power users already using those successfully? Uh, you can also look at it in a stage of the buyer's journey sense. So, hey, we we really need stories about people who made a decision to go premium or to mm-hmm. upgrade their account. We're light on that in our nurture sequences. Our reps are are struggling to get people to see the value of switching. You might start there. So conversations, prioritization, and then being intentional about who in your customer base you go after, who you choose to talk to to basically help close those coverage gaps. Because the great thing is, When these things are established, and then when they're documented, it makes having conversations with different teams much easier. It makes nominating candidates easier. It makes identifying wins easier. It's a way to get everyone on the same page, get their eyes all watching for the same things, looking for the same opportunities, so that everyone is kind of rowing the boat in the same direction instead of, is this a win? Should we ask that company? Oh, this is a big logo. Maybe we should go to them. It, it brings some intentionality and some focus and strategy to the stories that you're telling. Yeah, no, I think that that we've, uh, those of us who have created case studies have definitely had that feeling before where you're like, you just go to whatever your success team and say, hey, uh, who who's ready for a case study? You know, who who's good? And it's, it's a very tough question to get a good answer for, uh, for sure. Yeah, and I, I think... I want to preface that too by saying, if case studies are new to you, establishing these things can certainly help. And I think it's important and I think it will align people better. I think the reality is that in the early goings, you might just, if you're light on samples, period, then your coverage gap might just be, we need to get some really solid, well-designed, well-told stories so we can use them when we're pitching for other stories. And that's completely valid, right? In the beginning, 
you might be in a position to take all comers. But as you get more sophisticated, as you are able to start to plan and start to align, I think having tools like coverage gaps outlined in an SOP become very, very important and powerful for, for getting teams rowing in the same direction and making decisions together and avoiding, again, those internal conflicts of, well, this is not what we're looking for, or I don't want to ask them, so on and so forth. So, uh, you know, defining these things at any stage is valuable. And I think it's something you grow into versus snapping into all at once. You know, one of the things that, you know, you, you mentioned there's the idea of talking to other team members and, and figuring out what kind of where their gaps are. Um, any tips on how to make those conversations productive? I mean, my, my experience has been if I go and ask, um, let's just take an imaginary salesperson, I go and ask them like, hey, what are what kind of case studies do we need? They're they're likely to tell me about the deal that's currently not closed and they want to get, you know, so like any, mm-hmm. any tips for how to make sure those are productive uh, discovery conversations? I think don't necessarily preface it with, you know, you can give them a sense that we're, we're trying to plan the content we create, but instead of focusing on the here and now, encourage them to look for patterns. Uh, there's always going to be recency bias. There's always going to be that current hot deal or whatever. But I think you want to talk to ideally more than one person and look for themes and patterns within those conversations. And instead of asking them, what kind of case studies should we have? Ask them questions about their day to day. So what objections are you routinely running into? What is marketing, I mean, depending on the culture of the company, sales loves to poke at marketing. What is marketing either misrepresenting or not explaining well enough right now that that you wish you could change? Uh, And, you know, asking them questions about what stakeholders are currently vetoing your deals or where are things getting caught in the gears for you during the sales process? What roles are you running into that are skeptical that you don't have, you know, good collateral for right now by asking them more about the conversations they're having the patterns they're seeing the objections they're running into uh, and the opportunities that they are aware of uh, not you know what cases you have but you know what what would help you sell better or what you know what would help you achieve you know, like asking them about what KPIs they're being measured against what their goals are for the quarter of the year whatever that can also be illuminating because then you can come back with one of my favorite lead-ins to a question which is would it be helpful if blank would it be helpful if we went after customers in this vertical would it be helpful to you if what would it would you be more likely to hit your KPIs if and once yeah. you get them saying yes it would great Here's what we need from you to make that happen. And here's how we're going to go to bat for you. I think the other thing to communicate in those conversations right from the outset is that you are having them in the first place because you want to create something more ideal for them. You want to build something that fits their medium, their circumstance, the awareness level of of their buyer. So it's not marketing's pet project. It's not, please give us some data so we can go do the thing. It's you have a voice in this. We want to build something for you. I want to understand your circumstance and what formats and what angles and, and, and what things you're coming up against so that I can come back to you with something that makes your life easier. That is a, a very different conversation from marketing coming and saying, we've been tasked with case studies. What do you need? Now you can be more <laughs> intentional about surfacing <laughs> that organically in a conversation about them and, and what they're struggling with. I, I wish that 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 uh, sentence you just said there wasn't uh, a commonly used sentence, but I'm sure more than a few departments have showed up and exactly, we've been tasked with this now. Tell me what I got to do. Yeah. Um. So you know, you've got the the coverage gap determined. Uh. You know, we've thought a little bit about the uh, the plan of rolling out. Where are we going to use this content? Those kind of things. Um. 
then we ultimately come to the point of actually identifying and ultimately asking a client to participate. Um, you know, what, what strategies do you see that work there and, and what do you see not work there? Yeah, buy-in is by far the biggest and most common challenges teams think they have. I say teams think they have because the real biggest issue most teams actually have is internal alignment, which hinders buy-in, which we can talk about. <laughs> uh, but, but I think when it comes to actually making the ask, there are a lot of things that can go wrong or get mishandled. I think the first is, again, this is a team sport. Um, you in marketing or you tasked with creating the asset may not be the most familiar you may not be the most authoritative. You may not have the most clout with that individual. And so if it's left up to you to swing in as a complete and total stranger and say, will you be part of a case study? That is terrifying to a lead who's never heard from you before. It feels very corporate and it doesn't feel very uh, personal or you know beneficial. It feels like, oh, okay, I'm being hounded by the marketing team, you know, they, they want to put us on display. I think the other thing, you know, it's ironic because we're called case study buddy, but even the language used in the ask can make a big difference. Case study sounds very clinical, very exposing. It almost sounds like they're going to wheel you out on a gurney and kind of open you up and like, oh, let's <laughs> analyze. It sounds, again, very intimidating and it immediately can put the person on the other end in feeling like this is more of a take relationship than a mutually beneficial one. Oh, they want to analyze our results. They want to expose what we did. They want to, you know, showcase how good their work was. So when you make the ask, when the ask is framed, some things to bear in mind. I think first, you want it to come from the person either most familiar or most authoritative. If you are trying to do enterprise-sized deals, for example, you probably want either the CSM or rep or the person who's closest to that customer that they hear from all the time making the ask, or you want to look to your own C-suite if this is a priority for them and say, do you have any relationships over there? Do you have any strings you can pull? Because it certainly gets eyes open when, oh, the CEO or the CMO or someone with a lot of name clout is now making the ask. That is you know, a strategy we have seen people tap in, but you want it to come from someone authoritative or familiar or ideally both. I think the second thing is you want to tell them why them. You want this to be a personal ask. It's not a form letter. It's like, we are so pleased. You want, why are you approaching them? What is it about them that you think makes for a compelling story? You want this outreach, even if you're building off of a template, which we do advise to set consistent expectations, which I'll come to in a moment. You want it to feel very one-to-one. -one. Why them? I think you also want to ask or, or, or demonstrate to them what parts of their story are you hoping to discuss? Ambiguity breeds fear. If I don't know what you want to talk about, what you want me to say, what metrics you want me to cover, then I am going to make up a narrative in my head that is the worst possible situation where you are laying out, you know, giving my competitors the farm and making us look like idiots and so on and so forth. So you want to come to them and say, you know, this is why we're asking you specifically. This is the part of your story that we would love to feature. We want this to be beneficial for you. So this is the next part. Here's what's in it for you. Incentives can range all over the map. It can be anything from just the coverage, putting their work in the spotlight for the SEO types, a link back to the site. If you do things like discounting and that sort of thing, you do need to disclose it, but giving them a sense of there is a benefit here for you. There, there is, we are going to make this, you know, something that is positive and puts you in, in a great light. I think you also want to be very clear and, and have something at the ready that demonstrates what the process and involvement is. You don't want to leave that feeling like a blank check. If I agree to this, are they going to 
be in my office space filming me for three hours? Am I going to have to review 20 drafts? That's where the mind goes. So you ideally want to have something we use, what we call a pitch packet. Some of our clients use things like they call them case study 101 decks, very concise resources that basically lay out, here's the high level process. Here's how long it takes. Here's the agency you have in this relationship. So you get Mm -hmm. a chance to veto the content. You get a chance to review and approve before anything goes live. Here are some of the questions we would hope to ask. And it's all right there in this tight little package so that if your point of content needs uh, to to chase it up the ladder, they have something to take with them instead of just going, uh, boss, can we be in a case study for, and they're like, no. Okay, well, (laughs) opportunity dead. So to sum up, be specific, be personal, anticipate objections and have a resource for them. Have someone familiar or authoritative, make the ask, and then put a deadline to it. Don't don't leave it open and say, if you're in, we're hoping to have these ready to publish by X date. That just gets them off the fence, gets them moving where it's like, they're either in or they're out. It motivates them to have conversations. So those are some of the things uh, to think about. And then to loop back to what I said before, I mentioned templates. And this is one of the kind of the most powerful things you can do in marketing is CSMs, AEs, reps, they want to sell or they want to manage relationships. They're intimidated by having to make these asks. They don't want to compromise relationships. They don't know how to frame it. And you in marketing, you want a consistent expectation. You don't want them promising a process that doesn't exist or getting released for an asset you don't actually want or need. You don't want them overcomplicating it or scaring anyone. So having a go-to template that says, here are the things to cover. Here's the package you can send them, personalize this bit, change that bit, there you go. That helps operationalize so that they know, okay, when the time is there, they are empowered to, whether it's make an introduction to the familiar or authoritative person, make the ask themselves, they know how to do it. There's minimal thinking involved. They just do the part they're great at, which is recognizing the relationship and, and what's been done. So that is a lot, but that those are all things we've seen make a positive difference to getting buy-in. Yeah, I, I really like that that point you make there on the template because uh, I definitely think you know I've experienced I'm sure many of us have experienced before where these team members are are like you said they're a bit intimidated or or at least it, it seems like a large mental load uh, to make that ask uh, and that that package and that template just sounds so so helpful in, in getting that through uh, especially when you go back to you know understanding what the coverage gap is and, and being able to actually say why uh, so I, I like all that you did mention incentives quickly there mm-hmm. you know are, are incentives you something that you see a lot of people using um do they work kind of you know can you give us an overview of what you're seeing there to me incentives are a hail mary they're kind of a last resort if they're only tied to the case study what we see more commonly is companies trying to frame these through the lens of a mutual benefit. We want to showcase the great work you're doing. We want to, you know, like I hate the word exposure because it's been so bastardized, like do it for the exposure. But but there is a real opportunity. Like if you do have some name recognition in the industry, if you do have a large social following, if you do have, whether it's podcasts or different things you can mention this on that get their name out there, that can be attractive to different teams. And, and remember that you're also appealing to the individual. So making sure that they feel safe and like they're going to be made to look smart, that that all really matters. When it comes to other incentives, we see a lot of different approaches. And I'd love to say there's one standardized thing that just works for everyone, but there's not. We see everything from what I feel is like relatively cold and clinical, like putting a case study clause in a contract where it's like, you agree to do this. And then pointing to that when they're like, I don't want to do it. And you go, well, you agreed to do it. That to me doesn't feel awesome, but some people swear by it. We see everything from that to um, 
I know Leslie Barrett um, has talked about kind of having milestones across the sort of approval process or the buy-in process where uh, whether it is a gift toward them and the company or a donation to you know a cause that their company cares about, little incentives to get them to go through the process. She wrote a great newsletter about that that maybe we can dig up the link for and, and, and share, but it lays that sure. out quite nicely. We've seen personal incentives just for taking the time to do the interview, like saying thank you with a gift card for Starbucks or a $50 Amazon card or whatever. That can just make someone feel recognized and appreciated. And then beyond that, when you look at broader like uh, customer advisory boards or customer advisory programs, sometimes there are incentives baked into those programs that come with the obligations of doing a story. So I know, you know, for, for an enterprise sized like marketing software company that we work with, they've got a program where you take part in this, you receive a bunch of different, in, you know, incentives and, and for being part of the program. And then in exchange, there's certain kind of marketing activities that you agree to be part of. So I think my stance on it is that they're not bad, nor are they good. I think they just are. And it's about what makes sense for your relationship to the customer, to the individual, for the culture of your company. But what I will say is, for most of our clients, an incentive is not necessary. A monetary incentive or a discount or that kind of thing is not necessary. It's more about the softer side of making sure that they feel that there is a promotional benefit or a uh, brand benefit of being associated or having their name out there. So that is probably the place to start. And let's say I did give an incentive. Um, you kind of quickly mentioned it that, you know, you should probably declare that. But right. any any um, not kind words to like, how, how do I declare that in a way that doesn't feel like I've just bought this case study right. um, for someone? Yeah, not legal counsel want to preface this because I <laughs> the FTC has a lot of very capable lawyers. So take this all with a grain of salt. To the best of my knowledge and understanding, I think you call it out. You can call it out, for example, in the footer of the piece. Uh, you know, I, I don't think you have to make it sound like we bribe this person to say nice things about us. But I think I do believe from my understanding, you can say this person received, you know, X thing in exchange for the time spent sharing their story. And then if it were me, I would follow it up with, you know, um, all metrics and statements in this have been you know, confirmed accurate and signed off, you know, like kind of couching yeah. it in the fact that like we didn't pay them to lie. So that to the best of my knowledge, you know, and if it were us uh, doing it, we would kind of just mention, you know, they received this in exchange. These you know metrics have been verified and approved by their company and call it a day, right? It's not like mm -hmm. I don't believe you have to have it as like a blazing banner on the top of the thing. Um and and so that's as much as I feel comfortable saying about it because again, yeah, it's, it's a thorny space. So yeah, I I think it's you know you you want to do the right thing, and then you also question like, well, if we send them a gift card after the fact, is that really something that needs to go in there? Let your conscience be your guide. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I've definitely seen that one before. Where you know, there's no promise of compensation, but afterwards, you just want to say thank you, yeah. and you're like. You know, kind of where, where does that go? Mm -hmm. um, now, you did mention misalignment, and you're kind of talking about how this is actually the real problem or killer you see a lot. It's, it's not so much um, buy-in from the uh, customers, but it's that alignment and buy-in from the team. Yeah. Um, can you just kind of expand on that a little bit for us, and, and we'll, we'll dig in there? Well, let's take some common scenarios, for example. Like one of the ones we see all the time is CSMs own the relationship, even though the whole company benefits. Marketing is tasked with 
producing the asset, marketing goes to CSMs, CSMs pretty much ignore them or begrudgingly do it in a way that doesn't, you know, they, they almost block their own shots. And so the program can never really get off the ground. It doesn't matter if the customer would have been willing if the team itself doesn't know how to ask, doesn't know who to ask, doesn't know when to ask, doesn't know where to ask, doesn't know why they're asking. And so the real kind of killer of most case study programs is that they are 100% reactive and they are done in pockets and in isolation. There's no process, there's no roadmap, there's no shared goals, there's no consultation. It's just go produce this thing. And that creates an environment that is adversarial. CSMs feel like, why are you bothering for my time? Why are you trying to compromise my relationships? I'm already asking them for enough. Marketing feels like, why won't the CSMs give us anything we need? Leadership just goes, where are the case studies and why aren't there metrics in them and why aren't they any good? You know, And, and so everybody is just, they're all running in opposite directions, even though there's this shared goal of we want to showcase our customers' work. And it's really hard to win consistently in an environment like that. And so some of the things that, that we talk about to help get teams aligned, like underpinning all of this is it's not a magic bullet, but you need an SOP. You need, you need somewhere people can go so that they can see what are the goals who are we talking to? Why are we talking to them? What are the coverage gaps? What is the, the accountabilities that I have? What are the accountabilities and roles that other people have? What are the formats that we're publishing to? Why are we publishing to those formats? What are the base question sets? Or what are the types of things that people are being asked? All right. So, so mapping out from start to finish, you know, where's the template for me to go make the ask? Now I'm ready to do it. If, if that's not at my fingertips in a place that I know about, I probably am just going to wing it. So having this underlying documentation that is the byproduct of conversations between teams is really, really important because if you want to scale this up, if you want to be effective, it can't always be a five alarm fire. Ah, where are the case studies? Go get them. Ah, everybody scrambles and nobody owns it. So I, that, that just, uh, that story rings a little too close to home. I think, uh, if I'm honest with you, where I've, uh, I've definitely rung that, that five alarm fire bell before, uh, and, and witnessed all of that. And I really like, you know, you're talking about the kind of this, this standard operating procedure, this SOP. Um, and, and it sounds so logical when you say it, but I definitely have, have interacted with many teams that do not have the, the clarity that you've just defined there. Um, you know, we, we kind of heard it here today. Is there a is there a template somewhere that you you recommend people use, or is it kind of you know very dependent per company, or, or how does that go for you? Yeah, I think there are things that should be included in all cases, and then I think it will vary company to company. We have a post that we put together that kind of highlights some of the different things you can include, and, and we can maybe share that as a resource. But to talk through it, I think number one, you want to establish the shared goals, like the why. Why are we doing this? What are we trying to empower? And you want to have that in, in a place that's shared, but again, it's a byproduct conversation. This is not marketing, writing a mission statement. It's marketing, if they've been tasked with operationalizing this, talking to the different teams and talking to them about what can we create for you? How can we put things together in a way that benefit you? Giving them one thing we know for sure in terms of internal alignment is that other teams are more likely to participate in a process they've had a voice in shaping. This is not something thrust on them. It's something that's built with them and for them and alongside them. And so I think some of the things to include in that we've already talked about at length today, but roles and responsibilities, who owns what parts of this? 
mutually agreed upon timelines. So how long should this take? If you've got five people all saying, I want to look at a draft, I want to approve it. All of those people need to agree. Great. If you want that ownership, if you want that privilege, 48 hours or whatever it might be, that's your window to get your, your things mm-hmm. in. Taking, you know, put it, putting some timelines uh, to this. I think it sounds head smackingly obvious, but defining what does a win even look like? So, for example, one of the things that can happen in conversations is marketing goes to a CSM and says, we want to feature this client. CSM says, the story will be better in six months or not now, they're going through <laughs> renewals. And one of the most important things you can do is define shared criteria for when a story is good enough or when a story gets captured. And that will change based on the coverage gap. Like if you're telling implementation stories, you might capture that story immediately after implementation because that's when it's freshest. If you're talking about other types of stories, it, it might be after they've had more time to sort of accrue value and see more metric-based ROI. But having a shared set of criteria for who are the roles you're going after, what does a win look like, that type of thing becomes important. Having those coverage gaps documented becomes important. Having the templates readily accessible, whether that is a handoff or introduction template for how to introduce a person, whether that is a email template for making the ask, whether that is a quick script for live on a call that they can reference, um, putting that in there can matter a lot. I think both within and outside of the SOP, if it's on the calendar, it gets remembered. If it's not, it gets forgotten. So what event-based triggers can can you put in place to keep teams talking and keep teams alive, uh, aligned? Alive too, we hope for that every day. <laughs> uh, but, you know, like, is it a wins Wednesday where second Wednesday of every month you rally the leaders from different teams or get the people, you know, the right people in a room and just get them sharing what they're seeing in their accounts? Is it, you know, quarterly? Is it a certain trigger within the maturity of the account establish those for yourself that should be in there it should be agreed upon so that everybody knows this is my role to play in this um you also i think it makes sense to establish what are the templates we film to or write to or whatever so everybody can see the collateral coming out the other side some great samples examples of stories everybody's really proud of uh things that you can celebrate and show like this is what we're aiming towards uh, even things like, you know, we, we rarely see this, but I saw it the other day and it was kind of interesting to me, testimonials from internal teams about the benefits they've seen because of the assets created or, you know, mm. those types of things like getting other people in the organization to say, hey, this is actually worth the time we are investing. Um, those are the types of things that can get baked into documentation like this that just eliminate ambiguity, get people looking in the same direction, looking for the same opportunities, give them instructions for what to do when they have identified a win, where it goes, and then provide a bit of a roadmap for collaboration over time. Because that's what it really is. It's not a set of rules or regulations. It's a roadmap to collaboration between teams. Wonderful. We've covered so much wonderful stuff here today. Uh, Just a a plethora of knowledge. Uh, I kind of want to just take a look inside your brain and, and see what you think of as the future. Of, uh, of customer marketing, the future of this kind of case study work. What do you think this uh, is going to go in, in the next, you know, five and 10 years? Yeah, I think right now, most companies of all sizes, even companies with the resources and budget to do better, are still very, very reactive. Storytelling is still very reactive. A win is recognized, then everybody rushes to capture the story in reverse. Okay, uh, who's the best point of contact? What was their buying journey? What concerns brought them in the first place? You have to try to discover all of this backwards so you can have a really context-rich 
meaningful discussion. Oh, what should our goal be? They're, they're trying to define this all backwards as it's happening. I think for me, what we're excited about, passionate about, and certainly trying to influence companies to, to think about is proactive storytelling. How can we get alignment from the outset so that as the relationship unfolds, this kind of thing just gets documented by default? Okay, when they come in, first point of contact, and they, they vocalize, we're evaluating you against these competitors, these are our concerns, that lives somewhere and is referenceable. When they have a win in their account, that doesn't live and die with the sales rep, and they go, woohoo, and they clink glasses, and you know it goes somewhere, so everybody can, can <laughs> yeah. see it, and, and it gets shared across. I think where we're getting to and where technology is starting to catch up or enable or make more automatic so people don't feel like they have to deviate to, to record all this stuff is, you know, this this more 360 view of an account as it's growing, as it's maturing, as it's evolving so that you can, instead of having to get on a call and rediscover the story, you can get on a call and really explore it together because it's known and you can talk more about the experience than the metrics, more about the relationship than the KPIs because those things are there. So I think that's one way that things are you know, hopefully starting to change and where I see things going. I think the other thing is more connectivity. Uh, we see, for example, companies have customer marketing programs. We talked earlier, like the emergence of customer marketing over the past seven plus years, it's all the more prominent. Uh, the average person I heard the other day in a customer marketing role has only been there like something like two years or less. Um, so this is this is a role and, and an opportunity that's continuing to grow and mature and, and get more sophisticated. And so I think one of the things that we'll see over time is like right now, someone runs an NPS score or CSAT, and then another person might have a conversation, and then we might do a customer feedback, voice of customer type survey later on. I think we'll start to see alongside things being more proactive, more incremental feedback over time, more kind of checking in with the customer more often, more consolidating of their sentiment, their experience, bringing that together into a bit of a profile of where they're at, how they're doing, capturing quotes along the way so that when you go to make a case study, ask, talking about KPIs and feedback is normal. It's not like, oh, they've never asked me to do anything like this before. It feels like a natural part of the relationship. And I think the great opportunity and strength of companies who are investing in customer marketing is they are starting to foster that. They are starting to be intentional about making that a shared vision and a shared goal between client and customer. And that is really exciting to me. I think also, and again, this is my own bias is something I'm hopeful for, but I think, again, the tools are becoming more available. The, the bar to doing this is coming down. Seeing more companies recognize, realize that you don't have to tell a story one way, one time, one place, put it in a resource section and forget about it. I think there is a bit of a, a shift in the winds where companies are realizing we can deploy these in so many different ways and the lift to do so doesn't have to be gargantuan. I mean, everyone's talking about AI right now. For us at Case Study Buddy, one of the things we're most excited about is how can we use these tools to take our original creation, something that is human driven, something that has that warm feeling, that rich context, wasn't spat out by some bastardized you know, text prompt, how do we take that and now use these tools to turn it into this different collateral and leverage it and and very rapidly deploy and support different initiatives? So those are some of the things that I'm seeing, some of the things that I'm excited for, and some of the stuff that I think the leading companies are already cluing into, already thinking about. Um, and, and that's really exciting for me because I mentioned at the beginning, when I started, 
my perception was problem solution results how hard can it be i learned real fast and now we're going to see these things kind of grow up and mature and be seen as more than just this formulaic marketing and sales asset and i think that's really cool Wow, that I mean, you're describing a very exciting future. Uh, I think that's a very, very exciting future for this kind of uh, of content uh, or or programs, actually. And I really did like the the way you called it a program. Uh, so I think that that just really does uh, nail home or bring home just how continual uh, these things need to be. Um, if our listeners uh, could only take one thing away from today's episode, you know, they're they're in their job. Tomorrow, what's the one takeaway you'd give to someone um, who maybe who's got that? That wonderful ask of we need case studies. What's what's the one thing they, they should definitely take away? I'm going to cheat and combine two, but be persistent and begin with the end in mind. Everything we've talked about is ideal. It's wonderful to have an SLP. It's wonderful to have internal alignment. The reality is as you go to deploy this stuff, as you work toward that, you are going to hit opposition, snags, old ways of doing things, people who don't believe in it. And I think keep the end in mind. Keep the vision of what you're driving toward in mind, because you'll need to sell other people on that. And I think be persistent because if, if the first time you hit a snag, if, if the first time you try to have conversations with sales or CSMs, it doesn't go well, if you give up, eh, that's, you know, it, you're not going to explode into having this fully formed program. But I firmly believe that if you stick with it, all of the, all of the wins are in your sales right now in terms of attention and budget and value being placed on this role in this function. I mean, we look at the economic times we're in and these assets are the ultimate differentiators. So be persistent, keep the end in mind, keep at it, keep having conversations and, and remain curious because this field is just going to continue to change over time. Wonderful. Well, well, awesome. Uh, thank you very much for all of your insights and all your knowledge you've shared with us here today. Um, if any of our listeners want to uh, connect, want to learn more, um, where's the best places for them to, to go? Yeah. In terms of learning more, we share a lot on the Case Study Buddy blog from uh, reviews of how different companies are doing their stories to cool use cases we're seeing to how-to types of guides. So if you're stuck on a problem or looking for inspiration, I would go there. Um, you can follow us at Case Study Buddy on Twitter or follow me on LinkedIn. Um, I share pretty often there. My caveat is I don't always reply quickly, but I do always reply. So if there's <laughs> something that you're grappling with or uh, you know, a conversation you're just not able to have with someone else in your organization, I'm more than happy to, to have that with you. Um, so I think those are kind of the, the best places. And then myself on tour, so at Joel Klecky, I, I'm kind of sharing things that I come up with. It's more stream of consciousness um, as I come up against you know, cool examples or things that I'm seeing, but those are all great places to connect. Wonderful. Well, we'll make sure we link to those uh, in the show uh, notes. And uh, by all means, thank you just so much for your time today. I know uh, I continue to learn every time we talk and I, I know our audience did as well today. So uh, thank you very, very much for joining us on the show. Yeah, cheers. Thanks for having me. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Advocacy Channel. Join us next time as we bring you more guests like Joel. If you like what you heard and would like to support the show, please review, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about customer marketing, head over to the Sasquatch blog or follow us on LinkedIn. The links are in the show notes. If you're looking to create powerful customer marketing programs that will help you better activate, engage, and retain your customers throughout their entire journey, head over to sasquatch.com through the link in the episode's description and learn more about our referral, loyalty, and rewards platform. Well, 
That wraps up another amazing episode of the Advocacy Channel. We'll see you real soon.